Lord, we just thank you for this day of meeting together. We thank you for this opportunity we've had for worship. We ask you to give us a blessing as you anoint this time as we bring your word. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter 4, we're going to look at the verses 36. Uh, excuse me. 38. We are get us back into the place where Jesus has been preaching in the area of Capernaum. He's been all through that area up in northern, northern Israel. Uh, he was in the uh, synagogue that morning. He preached and healed a man that had the uh, demon in him. And, huh? Luke 4. And so starting at verse 38. And when he arose out of the synagogue, he entered into Simon's house and Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and had left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now when the sun was setting, all they that, had, that were sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him. And he laid hands on every one of them and healed them. Devils also came out, many crying out and saying, You are Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them suffering them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into the desert place, and the people sought him and came to him, and he stayed and stayed him, and that he would not depart from them. And he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God in other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. All right, so we're looking at this. Jesus has done a great miracle. He kicked out the de demon out of the man in the synagogue, and we had a lot about that last week. So, And Jesus left, and it's kind of interesting because Luke really doesn't inter has not introduced the disciples up to this point. All of a sudden, Luke says he goes to Simon's house. <laughs> and if you're not reading the other Gospels, you're going, who the heck is Simon? What is this all about? But if you read in Matthew 8 and Luke, uh, Mark 1, they will tell you that Jesus went, this is the other places where the healing has occurred, uh, that the disciples have been called already at this point. Luke just says, you know, they went to Simon's house. <laughs> and we look at this, and Simon is believed, who is Simon Peter, it's believed that he is the only married disciple out of all the 12 disciples they believe that he was the only one that was married they believe that he was older uh, because of the one scripture we may that we'll get to later on where he was asked about the temple tax being paid uh, people will believe that because Jesus told Peter to get the fish and pay his tax and Peter's tax you didn't pay the temple tax until you were 30 years old uh, so you went to worship at 30 years old you had to pay to go to, to go to church uh, kind of. It was a tax that went that belonged to them. Uh, so it's believed that because he was the only one to told to do that, that he was the only one that was over 30 and he was married. Most of the other disciples, they believe, were only teenagers uh, through history. And so you think about this, and it's kind of interesting in church history, most of the great revivals and everything that have gone on have started by very young people or the opposite extreme, extremely old people. It seems like when people get between their 40s and 60s, they, they kind of drop out of, of service for God. And, you know, in one sense, we kind of understand why that happens. We have family, we have work, we're advancing in work, and we let so much get in the way of service for God. 
You know, and I've said this before, how easy is it for us to come up with something to keep us from serving? You know, when we're a kid, well, I can't get to church unless my parents bring me. You're a teenager, well, I'm busy playing sports, and, you know, I've got to go out Friday and Saturday night and party with all the people, and, you know, and I've got to have my good time, and, you know, I've got plenty of time to get to know God. You get into your 20s, and you're starting work or college, and, you know, God, you just understand, you know, I'm starting this business, I've got to... I've got to be doing, you get into your 30s and, well, God, you know, you understand my kids now are getting older. I got to take care of them. I got to be at all their events that they're doing. 40s, well, God, you know, my business is really picking up. I'm really got to get it started. And we come up with all of our excuses and we're looking forward to the day that we retire when we'll have lots of time. And we either are too sick, too, too tired, or, or don't have the money to be able to do anything. And, you know, it's amazing. The older I get, the more it seems I have to do. Uh, you know, but, you know, all of that, what does it really boil down to? How important is God to you? Do you make time for God? Do you make time to read your Bible every day, to pray, to spend time with God? Because we will all do whatever is important to us. And I've used this example many times. I don't know what your sport is, but I used to like watching football. And if I had somebody come up to me and hand me two Super Bowl tickets and a plane ticket to get to where I'm going and hotel you know, reservations for it, I think, and especially, and, and make it even better, my team is playing, okay? I'm going to say, no, no, I'm too busy. I can't, I can't use these tickets. We all know darn well that if you were given that opportunity, whatever sport, you know, it's the World Series, it's the, 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 the NASCAR Super Cup, whatever it is, that, you know, you're given those tickets, and it's your favorite, favorite player, you know, or, or team or whatever, you're going to make time to go Go, go see it. We make time for what's important to us. So if we're not making time for God, what are we really telling God? You're not that important to me. You know, and it's an amazing thing. We were talking about it this morning, you know, how, how people that are addicted to cigarettes or alcohol or drugs will find a way to get what they need. They have no money, so they'll sell whatever it takes to get it. They will drive however far they have to go to get it, they will make time that they don't have to get, you know, even something as simple as a cigarette because of the addiction that is driving them and how much they want it. So how important is God for you? And this is something that I want us to really consider. So they end up at Simon Peter's house, and it says his mother-in-law was sick. Now, for many of you that have grown up in the world of housewives... <laughs> I mean, housewives are not considered all that important in today's world, but, you know, if somebody has grown up being a housewife, everything is about taking care of your, your visitors. You know, she is sick. This is, this is a big deal to her. She's got guests in their house, and she can't take them, take care of them. And I don't know if any of you have ever been, maybe you had a mother like that, or maybe you've been around somebody, but this is the person that as soon as you walk in your house, you've got a plate of cookies and cake and drinks and coffee, or you know, they're planning the dinner you're going to have that night, and you just stop by to say hello. And they're, and they're there to make sure that every one of your needs is met. We find out this is his mother-in-law. Because you look at this, as soon as she was healed, she jumps up out of the bed... <laughs> And rushes to take care of them. Now, we don't know if her fever made her delusional and she was feeling sorry before that or not. But all of a sudden, you can almost picture that she wakes up in the bed, comes to herself and realizes she's in bed and everybody's standing around her in her house. 
And it's like, what am I doing here? Why are they there? Why don't they have drinks in their hand? Why don't they have, you know, snack? You know, what, I don't smell anything cooking. What's going on? <laughs> kind of a beautiful story of, of Jesus just saying how much he cares. How much he cares even for the little things. Simon Peter's mother-in-law is not healthy. Now, Simon Peter is a character. If you, if you read through the Bible, you know Simon Peter is a character. He's always saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing. Now, can you imagine what Simon Peter would be like if he was worried about his sick mother at home with his wife while he's wandering all over Galilee? <laughs> uh, you know, it would not have been a pretty sight, I don't think. Jesus took care of his simplest needs. And I want to just point out, Jesus and God will take care of our simplest needs. Not that he's going to give us everything. Don't ever get to the place where you think he's going to just, he's not a sugar daddy up there saying, well, you asked for it, I'm giving it to you. He's not a vending machine. But you know, he does want to give us what we need. And beyond that, he wants to give us things that we want. As long as we will keep focus on him. Many times when people get blessed, they forget God. And this is something we need to be very careful of always saying, God, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for all of the blessings. Do you know why most Christians are not fully financially blessed? Is because God knows that we can't handle it. And it's an amazing thing. Statistics show that people who will tithe will tithe, and will tithe until they get to a certain percentage of their income, a certain amount of income, and then they stop tithing. Why do they do that? Well, it's kind of very simple in one side of it. When all you're making is $1,500 a month, you know, giving $150 doesn't buy a whole lot. You start making $10,000 a month, what can you buy with $1,000? You know, that pays a lot of bills. And people go, well, God, you might not need, you really don't need my money. You know, God, you, you own everything anyway. You, you don't need my money. And, you know, we laugh about that, but it really honestly is what happens to people. They start giving these really big checks and they go, well, you know, I don't know that God, do you really, do you really need my money? Add to that the temptation of Satan coming on and making your life miserable. Yeah. Can't tell you how many times I've been writing my, writing out my check and saying, God, I'm a uh, I'm certain amount short. You're going to have to, you're going to have to meet my need. But are, your question is, do you, do you go ahead and write that check and have faith in God? Or do you go, well, God, you know, uh, I'm $70 short this time, so I'm going to subtract $70 from my tithe. And if you, give me, if you give me the money, God, I'll give it back to you. You know, the problem with that logic is you don't get it back. You don't get it back. You go the other way, God provides. That's what I've seen over 50 years. God provides when you write that, write that check anyway. Now, that doesn't go, mean go, go get stupid and give 70% of your income and say, God, I'm waiting for you to give me back all the money. Now, God tells you to give him that amount, but don't, don't, go, don't go crazy in that, on it. But, you know, there is, a, there is a statement out there that says God will provide. Yeah. And I've heard it. It's not in the Bible, but it says you can't outgive God. Yeah. And it is a blessing to give God and give him more and more and, and watch the miracles that he does to bring back. But I'm going to tell you if, you, if you agree with God and you're going to give a lot more than the tenth, then there are going to be times when you're looking at that check and say, you know, God, I could just cut back to the tenth and I could pay these bills. <laughs> but, you know, if God has told you to do something, do it and follow through. 
is Peter's little need is being met. And his mother-in-law, and I love this, immediately she got up and ministered to them. She served them. Now, and I can almost think, you know, she was probably embarrassed that she couldn't get up in the first place to take care of them. And as soon as she was healed, it's like, I got to get up. I've got I've to take care of these people. These people are in my house, or Peter's house, as the case might be, uh, but probably living because we had nuclear, you know, uh, extended families back then rather than nuclear. She probably lived in their house or they lived in hers. And then it said, now when the sun was setting, all they that had sickness and diverse diseases brought them unto Jesus to be healed. And you're going, well, why did they wait till the sun set? Well, this is Jewish tradition. On the Sabbath day, the only traveling you did on the Sabbath day, which was Saturday, is to go to the synagogue or the temple if you were close enough. You worshiped at the synagogue and you went back home. And then you waited for sunset. You did not you know, wives and, and stuff were nice. You, you did not cook. You did not, you did not clean. It was a day of rest. Now, once the sun went down, it was a whole other story. Everybody was hungry when the sun went down because they hadn't eaten all morning because you, you know, you could cook until the sun rose, but you couldn't, uh, when the sun went down the night before, it was Sabbath. You did not do any work on the Sabbath day. So unless, you know, I, I've met uh, some Jewish, uh, Orthodox Jewish people. They love crockpots. They put their food on Friday night before the sun sets. They set it on low, and they've got hot food uh, before that because they could not start a stove. They could not start anything to cook. Uh, you, you want to irritate, you have any Orthodox friend go around on Friday night and close all their doors. <laughs> Don't do that. That's not, that's not mean. But they can't even open doors. They cannot open cabinets. They can't turn lights on uh, because all of that stuff is considered to them to be work. So as soon as the sun set, everybody knew where Jesus went, and they showed up at Simon Peter's house. Now, yeah, you got to think about this. You know, I've, I've often thought about this. All through this, we're going to see this. Everywhere Jesus goes, a crowd shows up. Now, can you imagine what it's like, you know, think about your house, and all of a sudden Jesus comes to visit you, and it's going to be a really great time. He's come for dinner. Which is a big enough event because now you've got your family, you've got him and his 12 major disciples. And as soon as everybody finds out where he is, you have, an, you have your yard filled with hundreds of people. In a world and custom where you feed anybody who shows up at your house. Yeah, getting Jesus to come to your house was, was a great honor, but it was also a lot of work. Think about Mary and Martha, you know, toward the end of his life, where Martha complains that Jesus, to Jesus, you know, my sister's just sitting on her butt listening to you talk while I take care of everybody. Now, she doesn't care that she's violating all the, all the standards and norms. These people are going hungry that are here. They're not, having their, they're not being taken care of. And Jesus told her she's taken the, she's taken the better. She's taken the better thing, not, not the custom. So we look at this. They all show up at Jesus, and they're coming to be healed. His reputation is that when they come, they can be healed. Do you realize that God has not changed? He still heals. You know, and this is the good thing I want to bring up to you. As we study this, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He did miracles in the Old Testament. They did miracles in the New Testament, and he still does miracles. 
Don't ever think that we have a God that doesn't do miraculous things. Sometimes his miracles are very simple. Taking a fever away. And people go, well, that was just coincidence. Well, I don't know, he prayed and it disappeared, so maybe it was coincidence, but it happened just the time he prayed. So I don't think it was a coincidence. I have had, I have had some healings that I've been participating in. I've had several times when I've prayed for somebody with an asthma attack in the middle of their asthma attack, and God takes it, take it away and be healed. I, we had a guy in College Park that asked for prayer. He was on the heart transplant list, number 10 on the list. He asked for prayer for healing. We prayed for him. Next weekend, the next week he came into the church running. He didn't, he wasn't walking, he was running. Ran up on the platform, down the platform, back around the church, and then praising God because the doctor took him off the heart transplant list because he was totally healed. Does God always heal miraculously? No. But you know, especially here in America, what is the first thing we think about when we get sick? Oh, I'm going to go get some, some, some uh, prescription at the drugstore. I'm going to go talk to the doctor. Do we ever think about praying first? Or, better yet, having people pray for us? James says, if there are any ill among you, have him go to the elders of the church and request prayer. We want to be able to pray. We want to see people get miraculously saved. We want to see them get miraculously healed. We want to see God working. How many times is something simple, a simple miracle? You're talking to somebody about God, and in a few minutes of talking about God, you realize you're not talking anymore. It's your voice. It's your, your, your mouth, your lungs, your, your voice box, but it's not you talking anymore. It is God speaking through you. That's a miracle. We need to be looking for the little miracles that God performs the little things that he does and be able to say thank you if we're not looking at the little things he's not going to do the big things do you realize if you go back to the story of the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years three and a half million people being fed every day and given water every day now, I don't know if any of you understand the logistics involved in that but figure, even if you had your own family wandering around the wilderness, however big, you, however big your family is, maybe it's just you. One person wandering around the wilderness trying to eat and drink every single day for 40 years. God gave them manna every morning, quail every night, a rock that they took with them that gushed out a river of water everywhere they went. <laughs> Enough water to, to water three and a half million people every day. And you know what? After a while, they forgot how miraculous it was and what they would do is complain to God that he was only giving them manna every morning. Now, God, you, you know, we're tired of this manna. Shows up every morning, we have plenty to eat, but we're tired of it. Now, I kind of understand that idea. You know, I've worked in restaurants sometimes, and, you know, you get tired of whatever... You know, I worked at a steakhouse one time for over a year and a half, and I got tired of steak, and I never thought that would happen. <laughs> but when you had steak, you know, four or five, six times a week, it gets to the point where, you know, I don't want it anymore. But they were forgetting how miraculous it was that God fed them every day. And I don't know what manna tasted like, but it was great food. Nobody was sick. Perfect food for the body. And yet people got to the place where they started complaining. God, all we've got is this manna. 
manna in the morning, afternoon, and evening. Tired of manna. God, can you give us anything else? God's got so mad at him, he killed a few of them. Then he gave them quail every night. So they had manna in the morning, quail at night. I'm sure after a while they got tired of quail. It doesn't tell us they got tired of quail, but I'm sure they got tired of the quail. Maybe they learned the lesson because we're never told that they complained about the quail. Now, one thing we know about them, they're just like us. They don't learn. <laughs> now, the amazing thing I find about God is how often he repeats himself. Why does he keep repeating himself? Because he knows we're stupid. <laughs> we're hard-headed. We don't learn. You know, it's an amazing thing, you know, when we're raising kids, how many times do we have to tell our kids? And how many of us probably said, how many times do I have to tell you this? And if you have a smart aleck kid, well, at least 40 or 50 times. My brother did that to my dad a few times. He ended up on the other side of the room. Uh, you know, but, you know, God knows that's exactly what we need. Over and over in the scriptures, he says, remember, remember, remember. How easy is it for us to forget? Because we as human beings are, what have you done for me lately? type people. God, I know that yesterday you did this, but what have you done for me today? God, I knew you did this last week for me, but what have you done for me today? We need to be very careful with that attitude because, number one, God's done a lot for us today. Everybody in this room woke up this morning, got up and came to church. You didn't have to wake up this morning. That's a gift from God. God gave us oxygen to breathe and still has given us oxygen to breathe. He didn't have to do that either. When we start thinking about the little things that he does, the things we take for granted, the fact that we have life is an amazing process. There are so many things out there that could take our life away from us, and yet we're here. And for me, I drive 30 minutes to get here. A lot of things can happen on a 30-minute drive. A lot of things can happen in a five-minute drive. But, you know, do we think about the little things that are protected from? I think when we get to heaven, we're going to find out how scary this world is. Beyond the physical, we're going to see the spiritual side of things when he, when we, when he shows us our story about all the things that didn't happen to us that were kept away from him by his, by his sovereign grace and mercy. The things that we deserve that did not happen. We need to be very careful about this. And Jesus was healing all of these people that came to him. And it says, and when morning came, he spent the entire night healing people. Sunset, somewhere around 5, 6, 7 o'clock at night, depending on what time of the year it was, maybe 8 o'clock. Sunsets, people show up. And he starts praying for people and healing people. And it's an amazing thing. Every time you see the demons coming out, they go, we know who you are, the Christ. Now note this. Jesus' name was not Jesus Christ. Christ is his title. It is the anointed one, the Messiah. The demons knew him by his title. And they're going, you are Jesus or Yeshua in the, in the Hebrew. You are Jesus Christ the Christ. They knew him. They knew who he was. And Jesus always, especially at the beginning, said, be silent. 
He was not ready to be known as the Messiah at this point. Why? Because at the Messiah, point of the being Messiah, that he had to die on the cross. He did not let people acknowledge him as Messiah until the triumphant entry one week before his crucifixion. Then he let people call him King, Messiah, and then he was crucified. He's coming back soon, well, into the, into the tribulation period anyway, <laughs> seven years after the rapture. He's coming back, and he will be coming back as the triumphant king. And this is something that's very important if you know the history. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he rode in on a donkey. When a king rode in on a donkey, he's saying, I'm coming in peace. How is he described in Revelation coming down from heaven? A white horse. That was what they rode when they come in, came in in victory as the conquering king. Jesus will come back as the conquering king next time and rule the world with an iron scepter. He will rule with authority. First time he came with gentleness. He came to be the lamb that would be dying on the cross for our sins. And thankfully he did. He took the punishment that we deserve upon his body. The perfect lamb of God taking all of God's wrath and anger for sin upon himself. So that we could be saved. Never underestimate the cost of your salvation. Salvation is not this real simple thing that I can take for granted. Well, you know, God just forgave my sins. Well, yeah, he, he forgave my sins, but what was the cost? Jesus, the Son of God, God himself took punishment upon himself for our sins so that we could be forgiven. This should motivate us to serve him in a way that we can't even imagine. Imagine you're going to court and you're facing, you know, 50 years in prison or longer. Let's, make, let's say five consecutive life's terms in prison. And somebody comes along and says, I'll pay, I'll pay your debt. How would you feel toward that person? After you get the, over the idea that they must be crazy. And you know, that's a, that's a statement a lot of people who are lost will say, well, God is crazy to pay your debt. Well, yes, I agree. He's crazy. <laughs> but he loves us enough that he knows that that's the only way that we could be forgiven. So he says, I'm going to pay that debt. It makes no sense in, in when you look at it. Jesus, you died for my sins. You died for everyone's sin in this world. But I want to make it personal. He died for each person's sin. You know, and this is something we have to get to the way we understand. There are people who grow up in churches and they forget that they're sinners. I've seen it. I've seen it even in my own family where people have forgotten that they're sinners because they grew up they grew up in churches. You know, they were the ones who make, well, I was always a Christian. You know, I don't remember when I asked Jesus into my heart. I don't know when it happened. I'm going to say, if you don't remember a day that you repented of your sins and asked Jesus into your heart, then you better think, that, you know, think twice about whether you're saved or not. Because when you're saved, you'll know. I know the day I got saved. I don't know the exact date on it, but I know that it was when I was 10 years old, I went to junior church, and I know that I recognized that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And I know that he changed my life. How has God changed your life? Yeah. And this is important for us to understand. 
There has to be that point where I recognize I'm a sinner, that I, that I deserve hell, and it takes Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And be able to say, I know that I know. There is nobody out there that will ever convince me that I'm not saved, including Satan himself. Why? Because I know that I became a Corinthians 5.17, a new creature when I got saved. There were some big changes in my life, even at 10 years old. And he's made lots of changes since. Where are you with God? How, how much is he yours? But at, sun, at sunrise, Jesus slipped away. I don't know how Jesus did all this. He slipped away a lot. In Nazareth, they're dragging him up the mountainside to throw him off the cliff, and he just slips through the crowd. And he's the center of attention. He's the center of attention, and he slips away. Now, maybe he said, excuse me, I've got to go to the restroom, and he just kept going. <laughs> you know, who knows how he slipped away, but he slipped away. And what was his purpose for slipping away? To pray to the Father. This is very important. Do we have a time in our day where we slip away to pray with the Father? Just spend time with God alone. You know, I know how hard that is. You know, as being a worker, you get up and you work, especially back when I was working 12, 16-hour days, it's pretty tough to, to find time to sleep and find time to work, you know, be alone with God. But we have to spend time with God. We have to get into his word. We have to pray if we want to stay strong with God. Mothers, especially infants, oh, we know how hard it is for them if you're, really, if you're wise about it. You know, husbands don't ever get stupid enough to say your wife's not doing any work when there's infants involved. They're up most of the night taking care of them. They've got to feed them several times a day, clean them, entertain them. You know, those poor moms of preschool kids are stuck. Every time they try to go do something, they're going to knock on the door, Mom! I remember my mom telling me that she changed her name. <laughs> you know, she wasn't responding to Mom that day. <laughs> uh, you know, so we look at this, and Jesus slipped away to spend time with the Father. And this is going to be a recurring theme that we see. Jesus going away to be alone to be with the Father most mornings. And it says early in the morning. And about the only time he gets. And then they found him. <laughs> Wherever Jesus went, the people found him. You know, maybe they tracked him. I don't know. I don't know how they found him. But they found him. And the crowd shows up. And their request was very simple. Jesus, stay here. <laughs> We want to be selfish. We want all of the healing. We want all of your teaching. Just stay here in Copernicum. Don't go anywhere else. And Jesus said, I was sent to all. I have to go out and minister to others. And the next verse says that he went out throughout all of Galilee, all through the northern region, preaching in the synagogues and teaching people. What do we do as individuals? Are you somebody that says, well, I can't go anywhere? I can't do anything? I'm, I'm incapable of going someplace else? We have a great commission that we were told to preach the word of God and baptize, teach and preach and baptize in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the world. Now, the one thing about that is it's not going, Jesus didn't say there's only certain ones of you were to do that. And I understand not everybody can go out to the uttermost parts of the world. All right? But are you definitely starting in Jerusalem, 
your own home? I've said this many times. How many of us have family members that are unsaved? Have you shared the gospel with your family members? Judea, your, your neighbors. Do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? Hopefully they do. Now, I have a very outgoing son. All my neighbors know that we're Christians. They would anyway because I talk to him as well, but he gets to him long before I do. Because <laughs> he likes to talk, and you all know that. He loves to talk. Now, and he tells people about God. He tells people about, about Jesus. Do your neighbors know that you're a Christian? Have they heard the gospel from you? Do the people you work with know that you're a Christian? Or are you listening to the same dirty jokes that they're telling, the same you know, risque things that they're talking about? The, you're laughing at the same things that they laugh. You're, you're, you're just like them. Or they know that you're a Christian who's different. We need to be able to put an example out there. That doesn't mean we're going to be preaching all the time. When I ask you, do you have family members that aren't saved? I'm not saying every time you see them, preach to them. Because you start doing that, they're, they're going to avoid you like everybody else. You know, when you first get saved, it's really easy to talk to people about Jesus because everybody you know doesn't know him. How long does it take everybody that doesn't know him to start saying, well, I'm not going to be anywhere near that person. All they want to do is talk about God and Jesus. One of the hardest things about being a Christian for, for 50 years and having moved around all my life, almost all the people I know outside of work are Christians <laughs> because the only people I get to know are in church. So I kind of like being out in the world because it gives me a chance to talk to some people and share Christ with them. Who are you, who do you know that isn't saved? Have you shared the gospel with them? The last thing I would want to have at the great white throne judgment when somebody's standing before Christ being ready to be sent into hell is for them to look over at us over there in the, in the, in the, jury box or whatever we're off on the side because we're not being judged you knew this was happening and didn't tell me about it why do we not tell people because we're afraid we're afraid they're going to ask us a question that we don't know they're afraid that they're going to call us a hypocrite they're going to call, they're afraid of something we need to get over the fear i shared with you the greatest fear that most people have about witnessing is what if they ask me a question that i don't know that stops most people from witnessing, and I tell you that's the greatest thing that can happen to you. Because here's your answer. They ask you a question that you don't know the answer to. That is a very good question. I don't have an answer for you, but I will go back and find the answer. Can we meet again? Whatever's convenient for you to meet again. And you know when you go back to them to give them their answer to that question they ask, I'd be praying for another question that they couldn't ask if they didn't know Jesus. Let's keep this going as long as possible. You ask me a question that I don't know the answer every single time, time so that I can keep coming back and telling you about Jesus. Because when I come back, I'm not just telling them the answer to their question. I'm going to give them the gospel again. And the gospel is really simple. We all have sinned. We all deserve punishment. Jesus died for our sins. We need to repent and ask him into our heart to be saved. The gospel is simple. So every time that we talk with somebody and bring Jesus up, our gospel should be part of it. Do you realize that most people don't realize that the gospel is something so simple? Most Christians don't understand that the gospel is something simple. They get saved and somehow they, they go, okay, for, for by grace am I saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
And then immediately, what do we start doing? We start trying to do works. I got saved by grace, but I got to keep my salvation by doing lots of good stuff. That is not biblical. Why do we do good things? Because God changes who we are and we become more like him. And the more we become like him, the more we do good things. But I am not doing good things because I am trying to please God. I'm trying to keep my salvation. I'm doing it because he is changing who I am. And I'm becoming more like him with every passing day. When I'm in his word and I'm, being, and I'm studying and I'm praying and I'm spending time with him. This is the beautiful thing. Why did Jesus spend time with the father? He needed to be replenished. He needed that relationship with the father. The same thing we need. We need to spend time with the Father because if you don't have yourself filled with God, you're not going to have anything to give out. This is why we study. We need information. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you want to build your faith, get into God's Word. All right? You want to build your faith, get into His Word and start believing His Word and then watch Him work. It's really wonderful when you look at these things because all through the Bible it says, they, many times they were going, where is the God who did? You know, that was the question. Gideon asked that same question. You know, talking to the angel of the Lord, where's the God who delivered us from e Egypt and fed the, fed, the, fed the multitude and gave us deliverance over the Canaanites? He's talking to God when he asked the question. And God says, you're going to see it. May not be wrong to ask that question, but are you having enough faith? Are you in his word? Are you looking at him? Are you looking at his face? If you're looking at his face, you're going to expect miracles. I expect God to do great things. And I have seen so many, maybe minor miracles, maybe major miracles. You know, depending on how you look at it, a miracle is great anyway. My, my wife definitely knows a miracle. She was driving our van when a tie rod broke and she made three turns with a car with a broken tie rod. Those of you who know cars, you can't, you can't steer a car with a broken tie rod. We know she made three turns because the gouge of the tie rod was in the concrete or the asphalt. She made a right turn, a left turn, and a left turn to get into a parking space. And then called me and asked for help. Well, that's a miracle. When I wrecked my car and the car turned into a, to a flat top and I was not injured at all. It's a miracle. There have been times upstairs when I know we don't have enough food for the, for the, for the after-service thing, and everybody goes away full. You know, did, did God shrink their appetite or increase the food? I don't care which way he did it, but everybody was happy, and they left plenty of food. Normally, we got lots of food up there. There's been times I've gone up there and saying, we don't have enough food. And yet, never once has anybody left here hungry from our end-of-the-month dinner. What does God do? He steps in the time and space and helps us. We're going to close here, but I just want us to really understand God loves us. He cares for our simplest needs, but we also need to seek after him. Seek his face. Seek time with him and learn to love him. And the more we get to know him, the deeper that relationship will go and the more we will start seeing him work and the more we will start expecting from him. And maybe, if we're really lucky, we'll get to be somebody like Moses or Elisha or, or, or Paul who was, just couldn't wait to see what God was going to do. But in all those examples I've always told us so many times is most of them just did day-to-day -day things. You know, we think of, of, of Paul, all the miracles, all the great things that happened to him over a period of 30 years.
And all we get is, well, he lived this really exciting life. In this chapter, he's doing this. 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 And read the, the letters that he wrote to people. I went to such and such place, which is one, one chapter, even three or four verses in the book of Acts, and I spent four years there. And we get one story out of it, and we think, wow, he, he really had an exciting life. His life was very much like ours. Day to day, get up, serve God, speak to a few people, and have a miracle show up about once every, every few months. We need to be aware that life is not just a series of exciting moments. The real test of a disciple of God is to stay faithful when we don't see God working. And that's not saying he isn't working, but we don't see him all the time. And real true faith is when I stay faithful saying, God, I'm still going to serve you. You are still God, even though I don't see anything big happening in my life. But you know, when you start really looking at God, you start seeing the, the miraculous things that are all around us. And it's a beautiful thing to watch God work. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, if there's anybody listening on, online that doesn't know you, we ask that today will be the day that they will come to you. Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you or isn't fully devoted to you at this point, that they will come to you and repent and they will seek you out. And Lord, we just thank you for your love, your care your intimacy with us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening, and have a wonderful day.